Every morning when we get up, they just start singing worship, the whole band right there in the living room. You're in the kitchen pouring your cereal, and they're just worshiping God. Wouldn't that just be awesome? That's the way he's going to be in heaven? Harps. Nice. You think Jesus is going to serve us more than cereal or the breakfast, or the breakfast of, of the lamb? Was it the supper of the lamb? It's going to be food in heaven. It's going to be awesome. Why am I thinking about food right now? For those of you who don't know, we're on a 21-day fast, seeking God. Do whatever you uh, can, whatever God leads you to do, but do something. I'm so excited about God's response to fasting. I'm already experiencing some wonderful things with the Lord. But it's after the fast that the real stuff kicks in. So whether it's fasting a meal or a type of food... um, or a day or two or three days in a row over the next, well, now it's what, 14 days? It was 21 days. Now it's the next 14 days. Let's do this thing. Don't not do it. Jump in, do something. Because I tell you, God responds when we get hungry for him. And that's the point. God's not impressed with our physical hunger. He's impressed with our spiritual hunger. And fasting is an indication, God, I want you more than that thing. And God responds. And I'm telling you, once you experience that kind of response, you're like, my gosh, man, I should be doing this more often. You get more of God, more answers to prayer, more of his presence. It's just awesome. And today I want to jump into uh, a message that I'm calling the restoration of joy. I believe that is one of the things that God's doing during this fast and during our time of seeking him. I believe that there are many in here who um, are struggling to maintain their joy or have lost their joy. And so I want us to look at that today. Uh, In my time of prayer and prep, I don't think we're going to get further than a couple of points. And I believe God's going to do something really significant here and break some stuff open so that he can break through. And so by the end of the month of August, which I'm believing is one of the most fruitful months of our lives... Um, I'm believing that there's going to be breakthroughs, answered prayers, things you've been desiring, hoping for, uh, for a long time. They're going to start cracking open. I don't know the fullness of it, but I do know at least it's going to start cracking open. And, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. That is all the stuff that God has planned for us, the kingdom of heaven as kingdom citizens, it suffers a violent attack. In other words, Satan is not going to allow you to have anything you don't fight for. Especially the stuff like we looked at last week where this, this father had a son who was uh, epileptic. What a, what a painful experience for a family. And so they brought him to the church to see if the church could heal him, and they couldn't heal him. And so Jesus came on the scene, and Jesus cast the spirit out of the boy and healed him. And the disciples said, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, uh, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. In other, ways, in other words, new levels, new devils. So sometimes you're coming up against something and it's just, you just can't get that breakthrough. Many times it is time to fast. Time to seek God's face at another level, another depth. And then I love this scripture in the Bible. Second, Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him. Whew, Mufasa. Man, that one just gets me every time. So that he can show himself strong 
so he can show himself strong on their behalf. Do you just want your life to produce what your strength can produce, your wisdom, your finances, your knowledge, your medical uh, prowess? Is that all you want is just the limitations of your own human resources? Or do you want God to come flex in his muscles in your life? I love the invasion of God. And like Kirsten was just saying, God is good. And anytime he comes and does anything, it is, say it, good. Because our God is good. And I believe one of the things God is doing during this fast is the restoration of joy. Joy comes, uh, the lack of, the loss of joy many times comes from, well, there are many sources. I have five sources of joy. We have, we had technical difficulties today, so we're going to do it old school. Jesus in the first century wasn't dependent on PowerPoint, right? So we, we can do this. We've got the word of God and the spirit of God and the presence of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Many times you can lose your joy. It's so quick to lose your joy. I mean, I remember uh, one time when I uh, told Hope I would do the laundry for her, just helping her out a little bit. And I shrunk her favorite pair of pants. She had just bought them. She lost her joy. I couldn't believe how shallow and fickle her joy was. It was all connected, it was all connected to a pair of pants. Really? I mean, where's the joy of the Lord? Come on. So we went out and bought her a, a brand new pair of pants, the exact same kind, and I shrunk those too. So the rule in the house now is I'm not allowed to touch the laundry. So guys, follow my lead. Watch closely. If you want to get out of doing the laundry, just start shrinking stuff. It's amazing how quickly joy can, can uh, just disappear in our lives. A lot of you had shattered dreams, shattered marriages, failed companies. Uh, people have died that you believe for, and they died anyway. Joy is something we cannot live without, but many times it's hard to find it and hold on to it, isn't it? Think about how ironic it is that I'm teaching on the restoration of joy today and Robin Williams, a guy who brought more laughter to people than most anybody who's ever lived. I mean, he was brilliant, intelligent, sharper than attack. Just, you can't watch him and not just be amazed and laugh and laugh and laugh. And yet he himself never found joy. He dealt with depression his entire life. We find that as a defense mechanism for many people where Many stand-up comedians say they battle depression, and so their way out of it is by making people laugh. And yet, he never found joy himself. That is such a sad story. So no matter what our external sources of joy are, they really are fleeting and fickle. And when we attach our joy to the external world, external things, then we are always going to be going up and down in our joy level. And the Bible very clearly says that joy is our strength. The Bible says that laughter does good like medicine. You know the Bible, the Bible says laughter does good like medicine. And, and uh, now we know that laughter actually helps you heal. And it releases endorphins in your brain that, that make you feel that everything is going to be all right. And it just helps you decompress and it, and it boosts your immune system. Joy and laughter are critical to our existence. God is the God of joy. God created us. The Bible even says God laughs. But we almost come back 
to the central source of joy himself. And that is God. And that's where I want us to begin. The first source of joy I want us to look like, look at is in the book of Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles with me, get your uh, iPhones out or your, your droids and your pads. And let's get into the Word of God this morning. In the book of Nehemiah and in chapter 8. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8, to set it up, we have the people of God, the Israelites. These are the people that God called to have a relationship, to be his people, to be their God. And to have intimacy and love and walk with them like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. But they had allowed the surrounding culture the pagan culture around them to become so a part of their lives that it just kind of diluted the relationship with God. They became kind of embalmed with the culture around them, worshiping their gods, um, partaking in their rituals. And what happens when we do that, when we allow the things of this life to crowd in, it crowds out God and our hearts become dull We're not excited about the things of God again. Church becomes boring. The word of God becomes kind of irrelevant. Our prayer life kind of goes by the wayside. And all of a sudden, you know, this relationship with God is kind of like very, it's uninteresting. Well, that's called lukewarm. And that's what happens when we allow the world to inundate us. We get so saturated and baptized in this world with entertainment and all these other things that we just, we allow ourselves to OD on. And... Our relationship with God just kind of becomes distant. And that is what was happening here with Israel. And so what happens is the joy we once knew and our fellowship with Jesus begins to fade away. And that source begins to become very distant. And so then we start going back to what it was like before where you're walking with Christ. And we're once again trying to find joy in earthly things, even in sin. And this is what was happening with Israel. And so what did God do? He sends a leader, Nehemiah, to his people. And what's one of the first things Nehemiah does? He breaks open the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. It's spiritual food. Listen to me, family. Nothing will feed your spirit like the word of God. Nothing in this world, no music, no movies, no relationship, no secular material can can touch your spirit. It can feed your mind and your emotions, but nothing touches your spirit but the Word of God. Because God is spirit. You and I were created in His image as spiritual. His Word is spirit. Jesus said this, my words are spirit and they are life. So Nehemiah knew for spiritual renewal... The first thing he had to do was crack open the word of God. Can I hear an amen? And many of you need to crack open your dad's word again. You need to open that book and just start feeding on it. I remember one time I said this to God. I'm dry. I just don't feel close to you. I'm not excited about you anymore. What, what, What do I do? What's the problem? And he said, I want you to read the Bible one hour a day, uninterrupted, for seven days straight. 
And I'm thinking, oh, man, that's the last thing I want to do. I did it, though. And by the seventh day, I couldn't wait to read the Word of God. It's, it, the Bible says of itself, the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between the joints and the marrow. It goes into your spirit, into your soul, and begins to carve away things that are literally dousing the fire in your heart for God. It brings spiritual renewal. The Word of God itself will invigorate your spirit and make you alive to God again. And so after those seven days, I said, God, why, why am I so on fire for you now? He said, well, you were asking for heat, but you weren't putting any wood in the fire. And he said to me, my word is the wood. My spirit is the wind. You know how you put oxygen on fire? You got to blow on it? Well, if you don't have any wood in the fire, there's nothing to blow on. So you put the word of God into your spirit, just feed on it. And then the spirit of God begins to breathe on you through prayer and through worship. And then he said, in revelation is the flame. Where all of a sudden you start getting, getting knowledge of God again. And all of a sudden, man, I'm on fire. It all began with this right here. Can I hear an amen? And so this is what Nehemiah did. So look what he does to God's people. They're wanting to come back to God, but they are just, they're saturated with the pagan world around them. And in verse 8, Nehemiah 8.8, So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings in our connect groups. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, what's that about? That doesn't look like good news. You read the Bible and it makes you weep? Well, James says it this way. Speaking to the church, speaking to Christians... When you guys have made your friendship with the world, which is what he calls it, he writes to the church, James chapter 4, and he says, friendship with the world means you're at enmity or at war or at odds with God. And he says this, God is a jealous God. Listen to me. How many of you have, you're married? Raise your hands. How many of you have had a significant other? You've been in love. Raise your hands. Okay, right. What would, it, how, what would you feel like if you found out they were cheating on you? Really, some of you have actually felt that. So you, you don't have to imagine. It's real. That was one of the deepest pains you've ever felt in your entire life, wasn't it? There are times I've just imagined Hope or I doing that to each other. And I can't even, I can't even go there. When I think about the, the tragedy of divorce through disloyalty, I just, I, 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 would, I pray to God we never have to experience that. Some of you have experienced that. It is it, is, it just shatters your heart. I don't think we understand how much Jesus really loves us. And I don't think we understand how much he's calling us to love him back. This is not a religion that we are in. We are in a relationship with the living Christ. And he is deeply in love with us. And James writes to them and says, you adulterers and adulteresses, 
Wow! Is that serious? Is that heavy? James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes to the church and says, You adulterers. And he talks about those of us who have, who have, who have relationships with things in this world that are our other lovers. And it breaks God's heart. And we wonder why the fire has gone out in our hearts. Why am I bringing this up? Because where we end up here in this passage, we like to quote this passage like all by itself. It's one little sentence, one little sentence in the bottom of a whole text and one little sentence even in the bottom of one scripture itself. And we just pull that little scripture out and we quote it. And I want you to know how, where this joy comes from and where my glasses went. Okay, here we go. They were mourning because they heard the word of God. When we are saturated and inundated and baptized in the things of this world and we rationalize our sin, we accommodate the things that we know don't please the Lord and we get comfortable in it and we get lukewarm. It's not that you hear the word of God preached or you're reading the word of God and it strikes your heart and you realize, my gosh, I'm so far away from where I used to be with the Lord. And it makes you sad. That's why James says in that same passage, Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your gladness to sorrow and sadness. You say, what kind of trans, what is that about? Then he says, and humble yourself before the Lord. In other words, repent and come back to your first love. Come back to Jesus. And then he says, and God will lift you up. He's talking about the restoration of a love affair with Jesus. The restoration of your relationship with God. The Bible says right there in the book of James chapter 4, God is a jealous God. He's more jealous for you than you've ever been jealous for a lover. He's jealous and you can feel that jealousy. In the same way, listen, this is so critical. Talking about the restoration of joy. In the same way that you can feel what the Bible calls the grieving, the quenching, and the resisting of the Holy Spirit. When you're resisting God and you can feel that the sorrow, the sadness, the grieving of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you can also feel His joy in your own heart when you reconnect with Him and say, You are my only lover, Jesus. He gets happy, and you can feel it on the inside. It is the same way your spouse would would respond, just in the opposite way. If your spouse or your significant other, your lover, your boyfriend or girlfriend knows that you're cheating on them or that you love your work more than them, you love your sports more than them, you love your money more than them, or you love another person more than them, and the grieving that you would see in your spouse's face, just the opposite is true. I say this in my marriage ceremonies when I do marriage vows. I say to them, I just made this up, but I like it. When they put the ring on, I'd have them say, this ring says, I'm saying yes to you and no to every other man or every other woman on this planet. Do you know what that makes the person feel like that's hearing you say that, especially if you actually live it out? It makes them feel secure, valued, loved. That is what we said the day we said, Jesus Christ, I make you my Lord and my Savior. It's you and no other gods before you. This is what he's calling them to. 
That's why when they started weeping and mourning, because they had made, they had, they had entertained all sorts of other gods into their lives. And so they started weeping. And then I love how quickly God responds when we truly have genuine repentance in our hearts and turn from these other lovers and turn back to him. Immediately in the book of James, it says, but God gives more grace. As, the, as soon as James says you adulterers and adulteresses, he says, but God gives more grace, more grace than your sin, more grace than your adultery. So just turn back to him. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Humble yourself and he will lift you up. I mean, just like that. He doesn't make you grovel and, and go through months of sorrow and all that. None of that. As soon as you turn back to your lover, Jesus just throws his arms around you and you feel his joy. So look what he says right here. Verse 10. Then he said to them, now we can't do this first part because we're fasting, which is a drag. But here's the, here's the verse that we like to just take the last sentence out of. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those who aren't fasting. For this day, everybody say this day. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow. Now say it out loud. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is talking about the joy of the Lord. It's not our joy. It's actually feeling his heart. When you get right with God, which is the first source of joy, is what I'm saying today. Either initiating a relationship with him you've never had before, or if you've been walking with him for a long time, you've been coming to church forever, and your heart's just grown dull, it's very probable that you've just left your first love, and you've gotten busy with all these other things. And when you get right with God, when you come back to him, one of the things you will feel on the inside of your spirit and your heart is his joy. Because if you've given your life to him, he's breathed his spirit inside of you and he lives inside our hearts. That's why we can feel his joy. And when we, when you say, I'm going to love you first and only, his joy actually bursts forth in your, his joy. I know I've said that a lot of times, but I'm just really wanting you to get this because it's so true. His joy. In fact, in the book of John, he says this to his disciples. I want you to commit to me. And I want you to follow me and obey me. Because if you do, my joy will abide in you and your joy will be full. You see how our joy is full? is when his joy abides in us then it literally puts turbo on our joy. It's the joy of the Lord. Who wants the joy of the Lord in this place? Come on, really, raise your hands, okay? I'm telling you, it is so simple to get. It is like coming to your spouse and saying, I commit to you and only you. You're the most important person in my life, and I love you, and I will never love anyone else like I love you. Now, if you can look into your spouse's eyes and say that and really mean it, and they actually believe you, I'm telling you, joy is immediate. That's what Jesus is calling us back to. Maybe you've lost that joy. Maybe you've lost your joy in the relationship with Jesus. That's what you need to do is to come back to him like that. I remember one time I said to the Lord, 
I said, I want to deepen my relationship with you. And you know what he said back to me immediately? It's really hard when there's a third person involved. Now, it wasn't an actual person. He's talking about when there are other things in my life that are crowding in on my relationship with him. It just stunned me. It was so clear. And then immediately what came to my mind was um, a friend of mine who's, who was known globally in the ministry. And he had uh, gotten into an affair and his ministry crumbled. And he was interviewed in Charisma magazine. And the, uh, the editor was interviewing him and said, you know, what, what's going on with your marriage? Because it's a public marriage because it's, he's a, had a global ministry. And he said, well, I'm trying to get back with my wife, but, but and we've gone to counseling, but she just won't do it. You know, he was in denial. He was in, making excuses. And this is one of the reasons why uh, his marriage fell apart and his ministry fell apart. He wouldn't take ownership of his own sin and that he had allowed a physical lover into his life other than his spouse. And so then they interviewed the wife and she just bluntly said right there, you can read it in Curse of the Magazine. Well, it's really hard when there's a third person in the, in the marriage. Oh, he didn't give out that information. But that's immediately what came to my mind when the Lord said to me, you want to go deeper with me? It, it won't be, you won't be successful when there's a third party involved. Whatever's in your life that you're loving more than Jesus, it's another lover. And your joy will never be restored to the level a Christian's joy ought to be if you're entertaining other lovers. Can I hear a hearty amen this morning? Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> what time is it? 11.08. I just want to wait on the Lord just for a second. Right now what I want to do before we hit the second point, I want us to go to the Lord together. Are you guys ready to come to him? I think that was some good preaching right there. I think we ought to capitalize on it. What do you think? I want to just run over it. The Lord is calling you back to your first love today, family of God. Some of you in here today have never given your life to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. I'll tell you the best prayer you can pray. This is what I prayed when I was 19 years old and now I'm 26. This is the best prayer you can pray. If you aren't sure about who Jesus is, this is what I did. I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not, honestly. But if you're who those guys are saying you are down at that church, I'm, I'm, I remember I was 19 years old, knelt down on my knees by my bed, and I said, I don't know if you're real or not. But if you're real, prove yourself to me. Because I really want to know if you're real. And here I am 30 years later preaching the gospel. He proved himself to me when I cracked that door open. Some of you need to just crack the door open of your heart today and just say, Jesus, if you're real, I'm, at, I'm inviting you to prove yourself to me. Prove that you're real. Some of you did that a long time ago, and you just forget what it feels like to be in love with Jesus again. And right now is your moment. Come on, let's just take a moment in the middle of the service and pray together. Let's come to the Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would flow over this congregation, move in hearts. Right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing up into your heart things that are competing with Him. And you've got to make a decision. This is the decision I made that day when the Lord spoke to me and said, your relationship with me will not be successful when there's uh, another person or another thing involved. That moment I realized 
This is a real relationship with a real person. And he does not like me having anything other in my my life that's a competing relationship. And that's the moment I realize I have to decide which lover I'm going to be with. Right now, you might need to do that. Please don't choose the wrong lover. Holy Spirit, we just ask in this house, without fear, without shame, without guilt. Rise in our hearts right now the things in our lives that compete with you, Jesus. And now you need to ask yourself this question. Are you willing to let, let it go? So that you can experience the joy of the Lord again. It'll be immediate. I'm going to make that decision right now. What are you going to do? Now, right now, just let it fall to the floor. Turn your back on it and just say no to you. No to you. And then turn and see Jesus and say, Jesus, I say yes to you. Now, I believe that moment right there is the key to breakthrough because it begins with God. And you can't have peace in God until you have peace with God. And right now, many of you have just come back to your first love in a significant way. And now he is going to begin to respond to you like a husband or a wife who has experienced loyalty. And he is going to start doing some answered prayers. He's going to start speaking to you. The word of God is going to start coming alive to you again. How many of you right then and there made a significant decision? Just go ahead and raise your hand. You just made a significant decision right there. Great. Two of you are going to have breakthroughs this month. That's awesome. So. I'm going to take about another 10 minutes and we're going to go into the second piece of this because this is critical. And then I have the band come up. We're going to worship just a little bit. This Sunday right here, I believe, is a pivotal point in this month, in this year, and in many of our lives. A pivotal point where we're going to start seeing things starting to break open. All right, so let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. I'm on Hebrews chapter 1. Boy, man. I'm a new King James. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Hebrews 12. Thank you, Derek. Hebrews 12. I'm sorry, I'm still thinking back on that, that other point. It's just so, so important. Uh, Hebrews 12. We'll go to Hebrews 12. I think it is really significant that the Lord has placed this on my heart during a fast. 
Because fasting really helps you get the barnacles off your ship. It, it helps separate yourself from the things of this world that you've allowed to attach to your life. Fasting is so powerful because it means you're serious. It also causes your spirit to rule and not your flesh. Amen. It's amazing how fasting, as much as our flesh hates it, and there's a reason it hates it, not only because you're not eating food, but because it's losing control. As you're fasting, what happens is your spirit starts to get strong as your flesh is getting weak. And all of a sudden you see things clearly. Your faith is rising up. Holiness becomes more important to you. And you have the spiritual strength and fortitude to break off those things in your life that are weighing you down and holding you back. So I pray that if you're not fasting, we got 14 days left of this fast that we're on right now. Please jump in and get this thing right because I am desperate and I am expectant for God to do greater things in the second year of this, the second half of this year and the second half of my life than he's done in the first half. I'm really serious about this. I want to see more of God in my life and in this church, which means your lives than I've ever seen before. That's why I'm fasting because I want to see God move in that way. And I'm telling you, it helps things break off. That's why I want to now go to the book of Hebrews and chapter 12. The first thing is not only getting right with God, The second source of joy is living for the purposes of God. So in Hebrews chapter 12, and why would he need to write this to those who are running the race, Christians? Why would he need to write these next three verses if it wasn't prevalent and relevant to their current situation, their attitudes, and their attachment to the things of this life, which weigh you down from running your race and fulfilling God's call in your life. Look what he writes in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, talking about all those who ran before us and finished their race in chapter 11, the faith hall of fame, Hebrews 11. He says, now it's your turn. Therefore, now that you've seen these people run their ways, their race successfully, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So easily ensnares us. What I love about this verse right here, he says, let us do it. It means you have the power to do it. You and I have the power to lay aside every weight and every sin in our lives so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's no way that you can run your spiritual race and fulfill your divine destiny with these barnacles on your ship. I was talking to uh, uh, David Finley before church today. He was a, he was a Navy man. And I said, uh, what go, what, how, why do... Why do what, why do, bar- why do you got to get the barnacles off the Navy ships, right? You know those barnacles, those crustaceans that, that, that end up uh, attaching to the ship? He said, well, it's a drag. It pulls on the ship. And I said, well, how do you have to get them off? He says, you have to either chip them off or he says you get a power washer and you, 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 you uh, wash them off. You power wash them off. Well, you know the Bible says the Word of God is the water of God and it cleanses and washes us. That's why you got to be in the Word of God. you got to power wash the barnacles off your ship. It might be a relationship that you know you're in that you shouldn't be in, that is dragging you down from reaching your destiny. If it's your spouse, deal. If it's not your spouse, you have an out, okay? 
Maybe the barnacle on the ship of your marriage is your attitude. You know this one woman? The Lord said to her, the reason you don't have joy in your marriage is because you, you feel like you married him only until Mr. Right came along. And he said, until you turn and look at the spouse you're married to in the eyes and realize he is Mr. Right, you will never have the joy in your marriage. She said that moment checked her and wrecked her and liberated her. And she realized this is Mr. Right. And she gave herself fully and wholly to him. And there was such tremendous joy in that marriage. I spoke to a young man in our congregation who said he moved here from another state for the call of God on his life. But his heart has always been at home. And he didn't realize this until he went and sought the Lord one day. When his wife and children were gone, he got on his knees and he was seeking the Lord and worshiping. And the Lord just spoke to his heart right then and said, your heart is still geographically back at home when I've called you here for a purpose. You've got to let go of that. That was a barnacle on his ship. His family was a crustacean back, back at his home where he came from. And the, and the Lord was saying, until you let go, you cannot fully be here. And he said, he didn't even realize it. And in that moment, he said, I turned my back, not, you know, emotionally or, but he said it was a soul tie. He said, I am here. And he said the joy that exploded in his heart and all the energies, he didn't realize he was on half cylinder in his calling because the other two cylinders or four cylinders, I don't know how big his engine is, but it's pretty big. It's probably bigger than four. The other six cylinders were geographically in another state. Now all the cylinders are right here. You can't run the race that God has put in front of you when you have these sins and these weights in your life that are holding you back. And when we, are, when we, when we um, power wash with the word of God, when we power wash and get out that chisel and just chisel off those crustaceans, those barnacles off our ship, whether it's a relationship or sin or addiction to your career or whatever it may be, then, verse 2, looking at Jesus. Now we have fixed our focus. This is another thing that fasting does. When you fast, you see Jesus much more clearly. When you fast and you get into the Word. Listen, I want to say this again. Fasting is not just doing without food. That's just, going on. That's just being hungry. Just fasting food is not a spiritual fast. It's not a biblical fast. You fast food and seek the Lord through reading his words. Eat it, man. I mean, pig out on the word of God. It feeds your spirit. It strengthens you. And these barnacles just start popping off your life. And you get to see him so much more clearly. You start reading scriptures and they just, they come alive to you because you're fasting and seeking the Lord. So when you fast, you are able to more clearly Look at Jesus and clarify your call. Secondary things, all of a sudden, now that you know what to say yes to, you know what to say no to. And you streamline. That's what David said. It helps you streamline the ship's path. You think about runners, man. They wear the lightest shoes, the lightest clothes they can use. I remember one time when I was in wrestling, and uh, I was ranked pretty high in the city. And this, we were in practice, and this other school came to wrestle with us. And uh, me and this guy are wrestling, and I had on these real heavy uh, sweatpants and a heavy shirt and these plastics. I had to make weight, so I'm trying to lose weight so I can wrestle in the tournament that weekend. I didn't want to lose my ranking, but 
but this guy was beating me because I couldn't move, man, because these clothes were just too heavy and bulky and I couldn't. And then I saw my girlfriend come up to the, to the wrestling room and my, one of my best friends and a couple other, and they were watching me wrestle. And this guy was beating me and I was getting so embarrassed and so frustrated, this little punk coming to my house, beat me up in front of my girlfriend, in front of my friends. So I thought, I don't care if I make weight or not. I, my new goal in life is to humiliate this pipsqueak, right? So I took off my sweatpants and my knife said, all right, let's go at it right now. And of course, I tied him in the knots and turned him into a pretzel and made him cry uncle right in front of everybody. That was my new goal in life. But I had to, I had to strip down into my sexy singlet and take this guy on. I had to shed the stuffing off of my body that was holding me back. Some of you need to do that today. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, there's joy again, who for the joy that was set before him, that was the goal that brought him joy. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. The fuel that Jesus lived on was joy. And where he got his joy from was the two sources that I've shared with us today. One was his intimacy with the Father. He just loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, it wasn't duty to him. He loved him. And Jesus is calling us back to that first love. The second, Jesus' fuel in life, the second source of joy was the dream of God, the goal of God, the call of God, the purposes of God in his life. For him, it's like a marathon runner. The goal is that ribbon at the end of that 26 miles, and nothing's going to stop me. The joy they get in preparation. We have a rower in the house, right? Just met our friend here who, who did rowing at Kansas State University. I mean, I don't... You must be possessed to get up as early as you had to get up and get out there in that water and row as much as you had to row. And I mean, you broke barriers, emotional barriers, physical barriers, physiological barriers. I'm sure you said no to friendships, that you know, friends that want to go out and spend time doing other things. You're like, I had a streamline. I am focused because there was this joy of the dream of winning. The joy that athletes have. In fact, the Bible talks about the joy of running our race, and it it equates it to athletes in the Bible, that kind of joy. Jesus' joy was fulfilling God's call in his life. That's why it says he endured the cross. He ignored the shame, public, public societal shame, and because the joy set before him of fulfilling God's purpose in his life. And then the end of that joy is, if you choose to do that, Strip the barnacles off your heart, off your life, and get streamlined with Jesus today. What will happen is you will run your race well. You will run it to the finish. You will fulfill your destiny. And when you see Jesus face to face, you know what he's going to say to you? It's the other source of the joy of the Lord in the Bible. The Bible says Jesus will come to you and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he pulls you into heaven. You don't have to get up. Well, you can. Oh, you're coming. He's like, heck yeah, I'm coming, man. This is what it will look like if you do this right. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And the fullness of joy will be yours for eternity.
Let's all stand. I'm going to ask Josh to come on up here, and we're going to spend just about five minutes in worship to let this saturate in your spirit and heart and mind. And I believe that this day is going to be a pivotal day, a turning point, a day of freedom, a day of refocusing, refining, and you're going to walk out of here right with God, feeling the joy of God, and you're going to start seeing the answered prayers of God in ways maybe you haven't in a long time. Can I hear an amen? Because here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask Josh just to begin in worship, and I'm going to invite you. I'm going to turn this place into a house of worship, into a sanctuary. And I want to have all fellowship be outside today, if you would. Let's keep these doors closed. Uh, Daryl, just leave people out that side door. If you want to need to go outside or if you have to leave, you have freedom. But this is a pretty, this is a pretty you know, in-your-face, punch-you-in-the-heart, get-right-with-God kind of message, right? It's a good message. It cleanses and it purifies. It purges and strengthens. So I want this place to become a sanctuary right now. I want you to have the freedom to stay here and kneel and pray or worship. You can come down front here if you want and just kneel down here and just worship. And come back to Jesus. Get clarity on your call. Maybe you haven't joined the fast yet. Right now is your moment to say, Lord, I'm getting serious. I want to break these barnacles off my ship. And I'm getting serious with you. I'm going to begin a fast today, whatever you may decide that is. And I'm going to seek you for the next 14 days during this fast. And I want to see you in my life in ways I haven't in a long time. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, right now is the time. Right where you are. Pray that prayer I did. Say, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not, but I'm asking you, come into my life right now. Come into my life, Jesus. I want to know you. I want to make you my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. If that's you right now where you are, just right there at your chair. Right right at your chair. Just let it roll off your lips. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You should repeat it after me right off your lips, and then we're going to bust into worship here. But if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before, just repeat this prayer with me right off your lips, only for you and Him to hear. Dear Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart right now. I'm inviting you to be the Savior of my soul. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. And I thank you for your peace filling my heart and my life. Now, Lord, I pray you will break all the barnacles off our ship in this house. I pray you liberate, reinvigorate the spiritual lives of every believer in this house. Lift us up in your presence, God. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, take pleasure that we have come back to you as our first love. Clarify calls. Make it plain. And give us God's speed as we serve you in our day. Whisper his name, whisper his name, whisper his name, and he will answer you. Just whisper his name, Jesus, whisper his name, Jesus, whisper his name, 